Let me read our scripture today. Thank you. And then we will get into this. Scripture days, 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 21. As you know, we're wrapping up our series in 1 Timothy. I think it's been about three months, and we've been blessed to kind of go through this book and see how we are the household of God, how we're the family of God. And even Jess's kind words of encouragement today show us that we are the family of God. There are many, we are a body, and there are many members of this body, and we all individually, uniquely have a role to fill in each other's lives and in the household of God. We are who God has brought covenantally together to do the one another commandments to each other, to love one another, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens. This is not on me. It's not on Jess. It's not on any individual. This is on us corporately and collectively, individually. So I'm blessed to be part of this family with you guys. Let me read here, starting in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. But keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Our gracious God above, we are again grateful to come before you to hear your word read straight from your holy scripture, to preach this word faithfully, to exposit the text, the meaning of what you have given us now, and even as you meant it 2,000 years ago. Pray that we will listen with open hearts, that we may hear your Holy Spirit in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I'm going to do a, a Matrix reference, and I know I do that too much, but trust me, I hold off on that way more. If I had my way, it'd probably be every single sermon. Um, cookies, crash diets, and the Matrix kind of make their way into my everyday life, and sometimes they make their way into the sermons. But in the Matrix, we've got this scene right? Neo's been unplugged. Neo is being downloaded with all these fighting techniques and all this knowledge, right? He's in uh, the real world. And he wakes up and he says to Morpheus, I know Kung Fu. And Morpheus says, show me. So they get to the sparring program. If you guys all seen The Matrix, it really works better if you have. They're in this sparring program, right? And so 
It's a computer simulation if you haven't seen it. You know, I know this is not always age appropriate, but there's a TV version and I get most of my good movies on the TV version, very edited. But so they're in this sparring program and they're going lightning quick as you've seen and Neo can't touch Morpheus. And you know, Neo says, you're too fast for me. And Morpheus is like, do you think my muscles have anything to do with my speed in this area, in this place, right? And so they're fighting and Neo's trying to kick it into gear and still can barely get a hold of him. And Morpheus says, you're faster than this. Don't think you are, know you are. I love that line. Our theme today is joy in the family of God. And I want us to see three major points here, right? We're gonna see that we have joy in the hope of eternal life. We're gonna see that we have joy in God's blessings and that we need to share them, and we're going to see joy in the wisdom of God, right? But what we're looking at today in this final sermon in the book of 1 Timothy is that we have been called and chosen by the eternal God, right? We've been called out of darkness into light. We've been called from sin to salvation. And brothers and sisters, if you have put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know today, without a doubt, that you are a child of the living God. Don't think you are. Know you are. Let's look at these final three paragraphs here. Point one, joy in the hope of eternal life. Let me read that again. Verses 11 through 15. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession. In the presence of many witnesses, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, live like a child of the king. This king, you are a man or woman of God. And I got to be clear, I want to set the table. I am speaking to the believers here. I am speaking to the church. This is the hope that we can have. This is the joy that we can have. Right? This is for us believers. And if you're not yet a believer, this is a hope you can grasp and hope for, right? To have this hope and security. But for those of us who trust God with our salvation, we've been promised this joy of eternal life, as Paul writes to Timothy right here, right? We are promised this eternal life by the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who dwells in inapproachable light, the one to whom all honor is due, this is our hope. This is our hope. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in the things of this world because they will fade and fall apart. This world is made for destruction. And we see in the news, we prayed about Israel right now this morning in our prayer meeting. This world is made for war and death and destruction. Second Peter 3 tells us, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Spiritually speaking, this world is doomed. 
don't invest in this world. If I was to give financial, spiritual advice, I would say sell this world short. Divest your stock. When you look up what you're signing up as a Christian, when, you, when someone is shared with the gospel, when I personally share the gospel with someone, I stay away from, hey, your life will be better. Happiness and unicorns and roses, because that's not what we're promised in Scripture, right? When we, when we see in Scripture what we're promised is to pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow Jesus. We're promised trials and tribulation. Honestly, we're promised being mocked. And we're called to turn the other cheek when we are mocked. We're called to be persecuted and to pray for those who persecute us. Right? You're not going to get a prosperity gospel from me. The Christian life is oftentimes promised in Scripture to be more daunting and more challenging than the life of a non-Christian. But the trade-off? The trade-off is unimaginable. The missionary Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. That is the truth. In, this, in some manner of time, I promise everyone sitting here, at some point in time, you will either die or the Lord will return for his people. Right? At, at one point in the future, you will stand before God and you are going to be offered the deal of the century. On one hand, you're going to say, God, here's my righteousness. Right? Go back in scripture. What does he say about our righteousness? Filthy rags. Here's my righteousness. Here's the things I gave up to live as a Christian. I stopped drinking, God. Not that I think drinking is a sin, so we're clear. Right? I gave up these things, this lifestyle. Right? And honestly, I don't want to belittle that or mock that. There are real sacrifices we make as Christians. The martyrs have given their lives. Right? There are absolute real sacrifices that have been made and might be coming in our future. So that's what we're giving up, and we're going to hold that out to God. And what's he going to have in this hand? Complete forgiveness of sins, eternal life in heaven with him, renewed bodies and minds and hearts, no more suffering, no more sadness, no more pain. That's the deal we're getting. That's the trade-off that we're getting. It's not just about that future joy. It's not just about that life in heaven with Jesus, but it's also about right now, this life, this world. Right? We're promised this joy that comes of living as a forgiven child of God. Right? We're not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about material blessings. Right? You know the difference between happiness and joy? Like, I shot 80 golfing, if you don't know that. I shot 80 Friday. That made me happy. Right? You get a bonus at work. That makes you happy. Kids, you get an Xbox or an iPad for Christmas. Hopefully, that's not. That's pretty expensive. you got five kids. But, you know, that's a blessing. That makes you happy. That doesn't bring joy. Two weeks later, those toys are broken. That money's spent. I'll go shoot 95. Happiness is not joy. Living in existence where we know that nothing can separate us from the love of our Savior, that is joy. Knowing that come any trial or any tribulation, that the one who's standing right beside me has my back, that's joy. If he is for you, who can be against you? This is our true joy and our hope. Yes, in things eternal, but living that life right now. What do we say all the time? I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. This is what Paul's saying to Timothy. He's saying, take hold of this promise of eternal life, right? Use that hope to keep you going, to fight the good fight. Keep your eyes on that prize. The end is in sight, brothers and sisters, I promise you, and the prize is so very worth it. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It is hard. We are 
we are weak. We are sinful, frail humans. I know this. We see this in Scripture when Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, asked his disciples to pray with him and sit up with him. And they just kept falling asleep. On the most important night of Jesus' life, they fell asleep on him. And then Peter turns around and denies him, right? We are weak. If the disciples who walked with Jesus for three years and knew he was the Son of God in a profound, magnificent, intimate way fell, we will too. But we are called to live our lives in service to this King, this one who has offered us this hope and this joy. I know we're weak, right? We all are. Maybe you struggle with anxiety or depression or anger or lust or pride or envy or greed. Whatever it is, I know you're weak, and I know this because I know how weak I am. But this is what Paul is saying here. Fight the good fight of the faith. Run the race of endurance. Keep your eyes on this prize. Like he showed us in chapter 4 of this book. He says, "For uh, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Train yourself. It doesn't come natural to us. Sin is invasive. What comes natural to us is selfishness and pride train ourselves day by day hour by hour moment by moment temptation by temptation to make the choice to follow god we talk about fleeing these things all these things we looked at last week this pride this controversy this puffed up unhealthy craving for for trouble this love of money this discontentment of anything that we don't have that we feel god owes us or we should be blessed with that's where to flee that's where we're to flee. Instead, we're to intentionally pursue the righteous lifestyle that we've been talking about for these past three months. This entire book of 1 Timothy, how to live in the household of God, how to treat one another, right? And he says here at the end of this chapter, fight the good fight. Take hold of this eternal life. Make it yours. Own it. And for the times when you feel you can't, when you feel this is too hard, this is too daunting, I know I'm sure we all can relate to the fact that we don't feel we deserve this or we're worthy of this. How often do you feel like, I'm too sinful? If you only knew my heart, you wouldn't want me, God. If you knew my past, if you knew my sins. The lie the devil wants you to believe is that you are not good enough. Right? This is the same devil, by the way, who tempted Jesus. He tried to convince Jesus that there is something more valuable than his service to his father. Right? This devil, you think he's not going to try and tempt you in any way, shape, or form to doubt your purpose? Brothers and sisters, you may not always feel like you are a prince or princess of the king. This is why I say don't think you are. Know you are. Don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. Hold on to this hope and this joy. Again, he says to Timothy right here, Take hold of the eternal life for which you are called about which you made this public confession of faith, and it says, in the presence of many witnesses. This public confession of faith matters very specifically. Again, we've been beating it to death. I bet many of you are ready to move on to Luke, so you stop hearing the phrase, the household of God. But this is what this is about. This is why we are together. This public confession is so you don't have to do it alone. We know you're weak. I know I'm weak. Ecclesiastes tells us two are better than one. If one falls down, his brother will lift him up. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. There are strength in numbers. 
This is what God is talking about, right? He who gives life to all things, the God who created Adam and Eve, the God who called you from the foundation of this world, this is the same God who promises to hold you through eternity. And I know scripturally, through and through, the way he chooses to do that is through this, through the not forsaking the fellowship of believers, through the unity and camaraderie that we have as a local body of God, this family of God. I'm telling you, the bad news is you cannot do this on your own. Stop trying. You will fail miserably time and time again. Adam and Eve, right? They were our representatives in humanity in the Garden of Eden, right? They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a lot of commandments to obey. They had one. Fail completely. They couldn't obey the one commandment. How much harder is that going to be for us? But as bad as that sounds, the good news is so much better. You don't have to. It's only when you realize you can't do it on your own that you give yourself over to God. When you say, Jesus, take the wheel, that he will. Ephesians 3 tells us, and according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's going to be tough. Guess what? I will send someone to strengthen you with power of my spirit in your inner being. This is how you do it, brothers and sisters. This is how we do this. In John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, we're weak and we're frail and we will fail to keep his commandments time and time and time again. Oh, the next verse, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. God will keep us. He tells us he is faithful and just to keep us. The Holy Spirit will help us. And yes, we will fall again and again. We will still sin. This side of glory, we will struggle with that process of sanctification. But God will hold us fast. Until that day in glory where our hope and joy will be made complete, trust God and the Spirit to hold us fast. Moving on, our second point today is to see joy in God's blessings. Joy in God's blessings in our lives and in how we're to responsibly handle those. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So wrapping up this letter, Paul writes this letter to Timothy, he's wrapping it up, and he's saying, all those things we just talked about a couple verses ago against those who desire to be rich, let's flip the coin right now. Let's look at those who currently have material blessings, right? Speaking specifically of money right here, right? So we saw this example of the rich young ruler in Scripture. You know, he's called to follow Jesus, and he goes away because... He has many possessions and doesn't want to give them up. The calling to this, who, those who are rich in this present age is don't be haughty. Don't be secure in your riches, in your material blessings. Don't stand on third base thinking you hit a triple. Understand where your blessings come from. Don't think your riches or your material success somehow makes you better than someone else or more worthy in the kingdom of God. So in this in this paragraph that we're looking at right here, these few verses, we see two points here, right? 
hey, rich, you people who are rich, you've already had it. We just talked to those who don't have it and who aspire for it. We see what the love of the... Um, Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and how it brings death and destruction. But for those of you who've already kind of have some sort of material success, what are you supposed to do? One, don't be haughty. Don't be haughty. And two, do good with your riches. Do good. I'm going to kind of take a little liberty here because these riches, if you're sitting in here saying, well, I'm broke. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. You might think this doesn't apply to you. But take the spirit of this, right? Anything that you have, that you take this pride in, don't be haughty. And so it could be money, could be a fat bank account. It could also be that you're six foot four and can throw a 98 mile an hour slider, right? It could be anything that you take pride in. Maybe school comes easy to you and you're academically gifted. Whatever God has blessed you with, I want you to apply that to yourself here. But this kind of wraps into our theme of joy, right? Take joy in God's blessings in your life. He knows how to give good things to his children. And many of you might experience these material blessings. Take joy in God's blessings in your life, but joy is not happiness. Money is not happiness. And then do good work to the riches. Take joy in blessing others in the family of God. So this first part, let's talk about this haughtiness. Haughtiness is a very, very poorly placed pride. It's the fact of placing pride in you. And what you have. Could there be anything more poorly placed than that? I, I shudder to think. Thankfully, I didn't put pride in being in shape 20 years ago. Because that went away in case you missed that part. <laughs> put your hope in, in, in the things of God. Put your hope in the one from whom all blessings flow. Your God loves you. Your God gives you these things to enjoy, Yes for your happiness, for your comfort, but also for your good. He knows what you need and for his glory so that you can benefit those around you. So the warnings to the rich are strong, right? The temptation is to trust yourself. When you have money in the bank, it's hard to earnestly pray for, give me this day my daily bread, right? It's hard to rely on God when truthfully you don't need to rely on him, right? If you've got a lot of money in the bank or a good job, how often do you pray for your ability to make rent? It's impossible to rely on God when you are self-reliant, but God wants us to only rely on him. God doesn't want us to be poor, but God wants us to trust him in everything. Hold the things of this world loosely. Our riches, our talents, everything we have, God, this is yours. Use it as you see fit. Remember, God doesn't need our stuff. God just needs us to trust him completely. God does not want us to be devoid of any good thing. He just wants us to hold our stuff out and say, Lord, do what you want with this. To humble ourselves before him that he may lift us up. I don't know about you, but I've struggled with this personally. I've honestly prayed sincerely, Lord, humble me, but not too much. Right? Don't take everything from me. Make me rely mostly on you, God. Have any of you ever given God your most or your some, but not your all? That is a struggle. God wants our all. Whether your pride is in knowledge or intelligence or your financial responsibility or whatever you are self-reliant in, give that over to God to let him use. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of these riches is what Paul is telling us here, right? 
everything you've been given, be rich in good works. We see here in the second point. Be generous. Be ready to share. Share. Be generous with your money. Yes, first of all, not going to take liberty with the text. This is about financial blessings. If God has blessed you, be generous. Be ready to share. At this church, we never preach on tithing. We don't pass an offering plate. We are truthfully as ungreedy as any church I've ever been to. But if you're a child of God and you've been blessed, you're called to give. We see that throughout Scripture, starting with the Levitical tribe. But you're also called to share everything you have. If you're talented, share. Share that blessing. People are out there streaming right now. Poor Ray went home sick today but still came in because he knew he's the only one with the talent to get that kicked off for us. Use your talents for God. Don't hoard your talents, but use that for the good of those around you. And don't diminish your talents either. It's easy to say, well, I don't have any money. I'm not good at anything. This doesn't apply to me. When we look at the list of spiritual gifts we see in Romans 12, what do we see? He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. So Romans 12, he's saying, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to, right? Don't be haughty, just like we see right here. Instead, each one of you has been given certain gifts by God for the benefit of one another, for the benefit of the body of Christ. And what are these gifts? He lists them out for us. First one is prophecy. And yes, that is from the Lord. Um, if you think you have the gift of prophecy, please talk to me first, but that's not what we're going to talk about right here. But the rest of this list, these gifts of God, service, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leadership, acts of mercy. Kind of take those words together, exhortation, service, contribution. Picture this word diagram as they just all come together into the word hospitality. Hospitality is what we're talking about. All of those gifts those gifts that you have been given by God are to be hospitable to one another. I can't honestly think of a bigger blessing in my life through my church history than hospitality has been. This is how we do the one another's to each other. This is how we love each other. This is how we get into each other's lives to learn how we can pray for one another, to serve one another, to break bread together. Oddly enough, Jed just read from Titus this morning. Even Titus says, hey, does one think he wants to be an elder? Is he hospitable? When we talked about a couple weeks ago about the requirements for vetting these widows of this honor that we want to give them, right? A godly woman who is hospitable. Scripture is very clear. Hospitality, being in each other's lives is it. We are not pew potatoes and we are not called like an RV park to show up. Fill up with water, dump off your sewage, and go off. You're on your way, right? We are a community of believers. So to the rich, but honestly to all of us, regardless of the size of your bank account, serve one another. Serve one another through hospitality. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share in anything you have. To who? Look around. This is who you're to serve. This is who you are to invite to dinner. This family of God. So, starting with invite someone to dinner. You know I don't like vegetables and I like cookies. Final thoughts on this, this section here. Everything you give, your time, your treasure, your talent, this doesn't return void. This doesn't just disappear into the ether. You're not throwing a penny into the ocean. These things, it tells us, are stored up in heaven as a good foundation of your future. Take joy in what measure of riches God has given you in any way, shape, or form. But learn how to use whatever you have 
for God's glory, right? Everything you have is a gift from God. Hold it loosely. Here, God, like I said, do what you want with this. It's all yours anyway. Our third point here, joy in the wisdom of God. Starting in verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the last paragraph in this letter that Paul affectionately writes to his son in the spirit. And he says, hold on to the wisdom of God. Guard this deposit. Avoid the contentious nature of being smart and full of knowledge. This is what drags people down. This is what hurts ministries. This is what ruins relationships. We saw it in chapter 1. Avoid vain discussions and fruitless genealogies. We saw it in chapter 4. How many will be strayed from the faith because of these false teachings. We saw it last week even. Avoid being puffed up with conceit or seeking, quarreling, having unhealthy craving for controversy. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. This knowledge you kind of have here in air quotes. Actually, it's not air quotes. It's actually in quotes in the Bible. Right? This knowledge, this thing that others might look at as true wisdom and and impressiveness, but it's not. He tells us last week, right? Don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited. Don't be puffed up. All these things that we talked about last week and how they can really harm relationships and harm the word of God and drag people down. This stuff that the world wants to call knowledge. And honestly, this is written to the church. First Timothy is written to the church to minister God. So we're not talking about worldly knowledge. We're talking about inside the church. Whether it's about how smart you are, how much you know, being able to argue the nuance of every word. Paul's saying, just don't. Don't. Just let go. Trusting God. I'm confident Timothy wasn't doing this, by the way. We don't see any example of that in Scripture. I'm, Paul, I'm sure Paul has just been around the block. And we saw earlier how he knew what controversies were already being stirred up in the city and the church in Ephesus. And as he traveled the world, he saw this as a problem time and time again in this early church. But even more so nowadays, right? This is just an easy trap to fall into. And so Paul's signing off here saying, look, just one last thing. Be generous and don't fall for this worldly wisdom or your, your own self. Just trust the simple gospel. There's so much joy in this simple gospel. There's so much joy in this wisdom of God. We don't have to know everything. We just need to trust the one who does. There's so many... Christian controversies out there, pre-mill, post-mill, on-mill. I could throw buzzwords out, and I'm sure you could too, right? And we learned several weeks ago that we're not called to know every doctrine or every false doctrine, or we're only called to know the truth, right? If you're so inclined, feel free to study them. But I encourage you, don't get bogged down watching YouTube videos. Life is hard. Every one of us already knows how hard life is. Trust me, I pray for you in the prayer meeting. We know life is hard for everyone. I just went to Costco. (laughs) Many of us are struggling just to get by. Yes, financially, but emotionally, physically. Maybe right now you're not. Maybe right now you're in a good season of life. I've been there. Things are just kind of going pretty easy, and that's good. That's good. But more often than not, life is hard. More often than not, kids need to eat. They need clothes. 
and your car needs gas and an oil change and maybe a transmission and then the house is dirty again. You got to go shopping. You got to get the sprinkler lines blown out. There's things that happen all the time. Work is demanding. Maybe it's too demanding. Maybe you got too much work and you can't get your head above water. Or maybe work's too slow and you're worried about being laid off. Is there not enough worry for today than to get bogged down in this worldly wisdom, this worldly knowledge, falsely called knowledge, irreverent, irreverent babble? Brothers and sisters, I know sleep and work take up at least two-thirds of your life. I know most of us don't sit around twiddling our thumbs looking for things to pass the time. One of the best uses of our time and my exhortation to do you is to be in prayer, be in communion with God, and be in fellowship with one another. Don't try to be an isolated Christian alone on an island. Enjoy the Lord. Enjoy the fellowship with one another. Enjoy being refreshed and rejuvenated. Enjoy learning how to love our Lord more deeply. Do you guys realize the early church didn't have a copy of the Bible? Right? They had Old Testament scriptures, which were housed in the temple. They had letters of Paul that maybe they had one copy around. And fast forward for the next at least 1,500 years, there was no printing press. There was no electricity. There was no ability to sit around and pontificate scripturally and spiritually. What they did is they gathered together on the Lord's day to hear the word of God preached, and they fellowshiped and lived life with one another. That is what we're called to do. Yes, if you're inclined, go do more. But that's the important part right there. The world doesn't need more of this so-called knowledge. The world needs to hear the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says to the Corinthians here, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you this testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is enough to know this simple gospel, right? And I'm not telling you to ignore everything else scripturally. Please don't hear that. I'm telling you to not get bogged down in this so-called knowledge. This week I read an article where I saw something about uh, a famous tattoo artist. Her name was Kat Von D. I don't, I honestly, I, I know her by name. I know she's a tattoo artist who um, has a TV show. I don't know much more about it, right? And I'm not going to, let me label a bunch of caveats here. I don't know what church she goes to. I don't know how strong her conversion was. I don't know anything. I'm not vouching for anything here. But I'm going to tell you that this is someone who publicly said, I used to invite the occult and spirit, dark spiritual forces into my life. And I turned from that. And I have found Jesus Christ, and I've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the simple gospel the world needs. Right? We sing Amazing Grace today. The guy who wrote that song was a slave trader. Some of these hardest-looking people need the gospel. Evangelism is not about crusades or street witnessing or going door-to-door passing out literature. I'm not downplaying that. I'm not diminishing that. Okay, I'm not calling you out if that's what you do. What I'm saying is God may use those means, but true evangelism is living every single day of your life as a representative of Christ, being willing to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those he brings into your life. True evangelism is going to all the world to make disciples, but God is bringing the world to you. It's not acquiring wisdom. It's not being quarrelsome with words. 
It's not falling for irreverent babble and having an unhealthy craving for controversy. True evangelism is this, as we see in 1 Peter 3. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's true evangelism. There is true joy in the wisdom of God, not our wisdom. Do you know how freeing it is to know that I don't have to know anything or everything? The wisdom of God is simple. We hear this from me all the time. The wisdom of God, the Christian life is simple, right? Put one foot in front of the other, follow God. It's not easy. I know it's not easy, but it is simple. Do the next right thing. Hold fast to the joy that God loves you, brothers and sisters. You individually, every one of you sitting right here, God loves you. You are a child of God. If you are a child of God, I should say, follow him. If you're a child of God, follow him. Every day, wake up, right? When we talk about personal piety and what it means to live this Christian life, when I say it's simple, it really is simple. Wake up and acknowledge God. God, give me strength to live this day, to love my family, to go to work, to honor you. Give me the strength, Lord God. When things are tough, Lord, help me. This is more than I can bear. You've promised to send me a comforter, Lord God. Send that to me. Send me a friend, Lord God. When money is tight, Lord God, give me this day our daily bread. Help me to rely and trust you, Lord God. Thank you for allowing me the blessing of relying on you fully. If you're strong, if you're in a good place of health, then your prayer, I hope I didn't need that, then your prayer is, Lord God, let me be a blessing to someone else today. How can I help someone? How can I be in their lives? How can I be a light for you, Lord God? This is the Christian life. We don't need to confuse it or complicate it any more than that. This is it. Wrapping up here, I want us to remind ourselves that this joy is for believers. Right? Don't trust the foolishness of this world, but trust, trust, the, trust the creator of all things. But this joy is only for believers. The rain falls, as scripture tells us, on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you're not a believer, you will experience material blessing and material hardship. You will have times of joy and times of sadness. You will be loved, you'll be hated. But if you're not a believer, then you don't have a true joy or hope in anything beyond this world, anything beyond you, what you can manufacture or achieve. For those who do not yet walk with Christ, this life might seem pointless. It might seem hard. It might just be about acquiring personal wealth or gain or avoiding personal loss, right? If you're not a believer in Christ, this life is void of true joy. God does not promise us happiness, but God promises and guarantees us eternal joy. This joy now, knowing that we are exactly where he's got us, that we are in the hand of the eternal creator, but also this joy that no matter what happens in this life, our future is secure. I invite you, if you are not yet a follower of Christ, please talk to anyone who you trust who is. And if you can't find anyone else, please talk to me. But there is greater hope in this world, greater joy than the things of this world. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are so, so blessed to be in fellowship with you, with one another, to read your word, even now through the blessing of the printing press and the internet, we can 
hear your word preached. We can discuss these things. We can learn more about you, Lord God, but help us to put all of our faith and our trust in you and not in our things or the things of this world. Bless us as we close out our morning. Keep us as we move about our day and our week and bring us back together to worship you next Sunday. In your name we pray. Amen.